On this week's very special episode of the Kick to Kick podcast, we're discussing the centenary year of the game. That's right, Charlie, 100 years of Australian rules football. Now, Collingwood have only one thing on their mind, and that is stopping Melbourne from equaling their four flags in a row. A miracle goal is kicked against St Kilda. Ted Whitten earns a new nickname. Essendon demand a headcount, and Fitzroy are the new glamour team of the competition. We'll find out why, and much, much more, after our song. It's the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazman To hear what they all have to say Exclusive episode of the Kick to Kick podcast. Well, not really exclusive. We are talking about the centenary year. Um, this is a history podcast that takes a deep dive into the history of the league. We have no real qualifications to bring this to you other than a lot of books, a bit of knowledge from those books, a desire to relive the past. Um, I bumble my way through this. I'm Tim. Charlie. I'm here. You're the only Demons I've been a- fan who's decided to join us for 1958 for obvious reasons. I have been abandoned by my crew, you know. The essence of uh, bandwagon supporters, it seems. They mm. are. They were all here when we won three in a row. But well, now, where have they gone? So, yeah, it's no real surprise. Um, but here we are. Thank you for sticking with me. I mean, I had to stick through 1957 with them being beaten by you guys. Exactly, you did. So you're here experiencing the pain of 58. That you have already felt. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm very interesting to see, to, interested to hear more about, you know, what happened. Because it's such of, a famous yeah. season. I mean, how did it happen? This is the thing. So we'll see. Yeah, well, let's get stuck in. Uh, hello, listeners in Germany, New Zealand and the UK. Oh, guten Tag. Um, just also some... some Podcast news: We've uh, we've entered into a bit of a fantasy football competition with uh, a few other football podcasts out there. Yes. So they came to play. Uh, Chicks talking footy. I think yank on the pod. Yank on the footy. Um, there's a few up there that we're we're taking on. Um, so yeah, game on. Game Foot, on. Footyhead, Sandown Cobras, I think, are joining as well. Fantastic. Who the best footy podcast is? At fantasy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> So let's start this centenary year, um, 100 years of football. Well, 100 years of codified football, isn't it? Yes. So we know the game of Mungrook existed way before that. So we're celebrating 100 years since the formation of the clubs. Because in 1858, yeah. Tom yeah. Wills wrote the, uh, the letter to Sporting Life asking the former football club. That's right. That's so we're right. celebrating the 100, 100 years of that. Of that, basically. yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, Knowing that it had grown from the Myers before that. Indeed. So 1958, Charlie. Mm. Um, I think you might have mentioned this last year, but the hit song in 1958 I've chosen was uh, Slim Dusty's Pub With No Beer. It was at number one for one week in Australia. Love it. Love it, as it should have been. It's a great song. Well, would you like to hear about some things that happened in, in the year of 1958? So, on the 14th of January, Qantas introduced a round-the-world air service from Australia to London. Yeah. And... Now in 2020, we don't have that. So that's, uh, what are we, 2021? Yeah, we don't have that. 
Uh, on the 6th of February, uh, we had uh, seven Manchester United footballers were um, on the among the 21 people killed in the Munich air disaster in West Germany. Yeah, on the return flight from a Euro Cup game in Yugoslavia. Not nice. Tragic. Tragic, but that's when it happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so four of them, including. So yeah, four of them, including the manager Matt Busby and players Johnny Berry and Duncan Edwards, were in serious condition. Uh, Busby and Berry pulled through um, and Edwards actually died a fortnight later, so there you go. Uh, on the 21st of Feb, uh, the peace symbol was designed and completed by Gerald Holton, commissioned by uh, the Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament in protest against the Atomic Weapons Research Establishment, so 58, the beginning of it all. On the 24th of March, we had the US Army uh, inducting Elvis Presley, transforming oh, yeah. the king of rock and roll into US private number 5331076161. Uh, I don't actually know the, all the story behind that. No, there you go. Uh, in uh, the, Around the same time, the 30th Academy Awards were, to- were held. The Bridge on the River Kwai won Best Picture, as well as six other Academy Awards that year. Neither have I, but it, you know everyone talks about it. It's a classic. On the 15th of April, we had the Giants beating the Dodgers 8 to nothing at San Francisco uh, Stadium in the first Major League Baseball regular season game ever played in California. Really? That yeah, late? I know. I thought that was quite interesting. That seems ridiculous. Yeah. I guess before that they might not have been Major League and might have been National League and that's when they, they brought it all together. Uh, on the 15th of April as well, we had Monash University founded in Melbourne. On Yeah. That seems late as well. Doesn't it? On the 20th of April, the Montreal Canadiens won the Stanley Cup after defeating the Bruins, the Boston Bruins, in six games. Uh... On, at the beginning of July, we had the plastic hula hoop first marketed. Yeah. You've got plenty of those at home, don't you, Timmy? None. None? None. Uh, no, none. No. Uh, on July 12th, um, a young band known as the Quarrymen uh. paid 17 shillings and six pence to have their first recording session where they recorded Bully Holly, Holly, Buddy Holly's That'll Be The Day and In, the Spite of All, In Spite Of All Danger, which was written by two of the Quarrymen Paul McCartney and George Harrison. So this is the starting of the Beatles. Yeah. Uh, on the 30th of September, a bit works uh, with us now because we're coming towards it. Um, Anzac Day in Australia received royal assent, making it a national public holiday in Australia. Is that how? Okay. Anzac Day had been celebrated, uh, commemorated before that, but it was became a public holiday royal at that ascent state. yeah so when um, when Dan Andrews made the grand final holiday royal was... ascent no I don't know I don't think so anymore For, I don't know what that means yeah. uh, on the 22nd of November we had the 1958 Australian federal, federal election and the Menzies country liberal country coalition was re-elected with an increased majority defeating the Labour Party led by H.V. Evatt mm. This was the first election where television was used as a medium for communicating with voters. Wow. So there we go. On the 28th of December, the Baltimore 
Baltimore Colts beat the New York Giants 23-17 to to win the NFL Championship game. It was the first game to go into sudden death overtime and is known as the greatest game ever played. Wow, okay. Yeah. So uh, go back and watch that one, peoples. And I like this fact as well. On the 31st of December, Tally's revealed that for the first time in, the hist- in history, the total passengers carried by air exceeded the total cast passengers carried by sea in transatlantic service so planes took over ships as a as a mode of transport in 1958 there you go and that was 1958 Hmm. would you like to hear about some people that were born surely just a few just a few just a few few. uh first of january grandmaster flash (laughs) yep (laughs) 5th of may robert dipper domenico yep dipio domenico dipio domenico yes dipper Yeah. yeah On the uh, oh sorry, I've skipped one there. On the twenty sixth of January, Ellen DeGeneres. On the third of April, Alec Baldwin. On the third of July, we had Gary Bacanara. <laughs> On the eighth of July, Kevin Bacon. And the sixteenth of July, Michael Flatley, the Lord of the Dance. <laughs> so just a few different ones sprinkled in there. Very eclectic bunch of people. Lovely. There for you. Lovely. All right, well, let's get stuck into 1958 and get it out of the way because I know you're keen to get it out of the no, way. No, I'm very interested to hear. You know, we learn from uh, we learn from history and maybe 2021 will be the year we put this one to bed. Maybe. Because it's football season and that's the reason it's the time of the year that we love. Um, it's a very fascinating year as well. Um, lots and lots of information out there that I've had to sort through. Um, as we said, it was the 100-year celebration. Um, some rules firsthand. Uh, the Ministry of Lands ruled an increase. The Ministry of Lands ruling increases the VFL gates receipts by five percent. Oh! At the expense of ground managers and increases outer ground improvement funds. So, grounds are fixing themselves up, which you know, I mean, a bit always of a good thing. Yeah. Um, so, what I'm going to what we'll talk about mostly here is the 100 year celebration. So. Um, as part of the celebration, they had Scotch and Melbourne Grammar playing an exhibition game on August 7th, dressed in cricket flannels and hats. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, a bit of a demonstration. I'm not sure who won. I was about to ask. That's all that matters. No. I'm sure it was Grammar. Right. <laughs> no. Um, but the 16th uh, National Australian National Football Carnival was held in Melbourne during a two-week break in the VFL competition. So between round 12 and 13... Um, the total attendance was quite disappointing. 90,000 people, 90,261 spectators at the 16 matches. Across which, all 16 matches. Yeah, yeah okay. Which is less than one game played in like, the Queen's yeah, birthday so we'll game. Talk, yeah, 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 we'll talk about that um, one. But Yeah, so you're talking about 5,000 people a, a game almost. Yeah, yeah. not a heap. Um, but let's go through some of these teams. So I think just about every team was invited to play except for uh, New Zealand weren't invited back. They only ever came to that first one. Yes. But we've got teams from WA, South Australia, the VFL, the VFA, Tassie, Canberra, Queensland, New South Wales, and the Amateurs. There you go. So pretty comprehensive, split into two sections. So section one was uh, the VFA, Tassie, WA, South Australia, and the VFL. Queen, and the other one was uh, Queensland, New South Wales, Canberra, and the Amateurs. Um, we're not going to go through game by game because we know Victorians pretty much smashed everything in their path. Yep. Um, but here's the team. Here's the, here's the Victorian team. Okay. Listen to these names. Right. Owen Abrahams, Graham Arthur, Alan Aylett, Ron Barassi, Reg Burgess, Jack Clark, Bruce Combin, Len Crane, Bobby Davis, who was the captain, Paul Dodd, John Dugdale, Brendan Edwards, Ray Gablich, Fred Goldsmith, John James, 
Bob Johnson, Jeff Leake, Ron McDonald, Laurie Mithin, Kevin Murray, Neil Roberts, John Schultz, Bobby Skilton, Harry T, Harry Sullivan, Noel Teasdale, Teddy Witten as vice captain, and Don Williams. Um, coach was Norm Smith. So I'm just trying to tally it. I, I, there are about seven Brownlows in that team. Uh, Skilton got Roberts, three. Roberts, James, Skilton, Murray, Goldsmith. More than that. Uh, yeah, there's quite a few. Some of them haven't won them yet. I mean, no, no. Murray and Skilton haven't won them yet. But yeah, it's a pretty bloody good team. Yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> um, there was discussion about who the coach would be. Should it be uh, Dick Reynolds or should it be Norm Smith? Well, I mean... Um, and the argument was made that you know Dick Reynolds had won all his premierships as a captain coach, not as a coach. Yep. Since he had taken over as coach of Essendon, they hadn't won a flag. Whereas Norm Smith had won three. So Norm Smith was... Uh, oh, of course he has. There, there was a vote and he... Won the vote like nine votes to three or something. Yeah, but Alf Brown in the Herald was like, "No, it should have been unanimous. There should be no no argument. No yet. question. Should, yeah. Also, you know, recent history trumps always. It's mm. it's more in your mind. He's just won three in a row. Yeah, yeah. Um, but here's some standouts from the other teams as well. Okay. And apologies if you're from WA or other states. Um, and I'm sure some of these names are much better. Are they, is that just a general apology? It is. Me? Because I'm sure some of these people must be absolute champions, but I, I we just don't know them. them. Yes. WA, their vice captain's Polly Farmer. Yeah, okay. Also, another guy called John Todd, who I think becomes West Coast's first coach. Oh, okay. Or second coach. I think Ron Alexander was first. Anyway, one of the Eagles' early coaches. Tasmania, Stuart Spencer, who left from the Demons. Yes. Daryl Bulldog. Hey. He's playing there. Well, Kazali's not there anymore? He's no. <laughs> uh, South Australia, we've got Hayden Bunton Jr. Oh. Neil Curley, Jeff Motley, and their captain was Foss Williams. Wow. Okay, yeah. yep, yep. Um, so these are just some of the other highlights of sort of the, you know, the, the major teams. Um, but here's some, res- some results. Um, the winner of the first section, Section A, was obviously the VFL. It came down to the final game, though, which was between the VFL and Western Australia. Um, I've got a nice little anecdote here for you as well. The captain Bobby Davis was talking him. Uh, so um, Teddy Whitten and Bobby Davis were talking like, oh, they're, they're pretty close. We've got to do something here. We've got to change the game plan. Knowing full well that Norm Smith hates players making those changes. They should come from him. Yeah. Um, so they kind of made a plan and enacted it and pretty much won the game. So they're celebrating and after the game, Norm like, would have been. What's, what's, what's Smitty going to do to us? Norm Smith goes up to them and he's like, who made those moves? And they both pointed at each other. Um, and then uh, Bobby Davis like, oh, yeah, sorry, I did it. Norm goes up to him and he's like, very good moves. Showed great initiative just when you need it. You won the game. Thanks for that. And Bobby said, no, no problems, Norm. And then Teddy was upset because it was his idea in the first place. <laughs> Bobby stood up and was going to cop it on the chin. Yeah. yeah, I love it. That's so um, good. So the VFL won that final game, 14-13-97 to WA, 11-12-78. So quite close. Um, and in the other division, sorry, Section B, the Amateurs. The Australian Amateurs finished top of Section B. So here are the letters. Section A was the VFL, WA, Tasmania, mm-hmm. South Australia, VFA. Section B was the Amateurs, the ACT, Queensland and New South Wales. Okay. So it was very much a two-tiered. It wasn't just yes. a random choice of who was in each tier. No. No, okay. no, very much heavily. Yeah. Uh, skewed in one way uh, and we also have an all Australian team made up of the best players from this carnival um, I haven't got positions here but he, here are the players 
John Abley from Port Adelaide, Donald Gale from Wynyard, Jim Ross from New North Launceston, Stuart Spencer yep. from Clarence, Barry Metcalf from Morty Alec in the VFA, Owen Abrahams from Fitzroy, Alan Aylett from North Melbourne, Barassi from Melbourne, Reg Burgess from Essendon, Jack Clark from Essendon, Bobby Davis from Geelong, Johnny Dugdale from North Melbourne, Kevin Mar- Bulldog Murray from Fitzroy, Neil Roberts from St Kilda, Teddy Whitten from Footscray, Jack Clark, different Jack Clark from East Fremantle, Polly Farmer from East Perth, Alan Preen from East Fremantle, Norm Rogers and Ray Sorrell also from East Fremantle. So it's a pretty bloody good team. Isn't it? Um, and we have a the Tassie medal, the, the best and fairest medal for this, which was a draw. So Alan Aylett and Teddy Whitten Sr. Uh, drawing on seven boats to take home the Tassie medal. Hey, okay. Mm. Leading goal kicker was uh, John Dugdale with 18. So Vicks just, the VFL just dominated. Absolutely. Um, so, let's let's go through this 1958 season, shall we? Shall we? A very interesting season. All right, in 12th place, we've got Geelong. Four wins, 14 losses, a percentage of 73.8. Beautiful. So, in 1958, for Geelong, we had uh, Captain Bob Davis, Coach Reg Hickey. Uh, best and fairest was John O'Neill. Um, all right, some a debutante that hopefully Kaz will let us know about is Billy Goggin. Billy Goggin. Big name there, fun name as well. At Geelong, one of football's most thrilling sights in the 60s was the electric breakaway and dash downfield by Billy Goggin. Possibly the best small man in Geelong history, although Gary Ablett probably has something to say about that, Junior. Uh, the snowy-haired rover could lacerate any defence and was already a champion player by the time Polly Farmer arrived, um, who he would team up with quite successfully. He came from North Geelong, and initially the under-19s management thought he was too small. But after a year in the under-19s, he went straight into the first in 1958. He was a pro sprinter in his early days, running only four yards outside even time, but he also had the great ability on the football field of being able to bounce the ball and dodge without seeming to drop down a gear in speed. He would invariably finish off the effort with a bullet-like pass. Um, the Cats lost their opening match, the first time they had since 1946, with the Bombers belting them by 37 points at Windy Hill. Following this game, one of our favourites, Bernie Smith, announced his shock retirement. Oh, really? He's done. He was done. Done and dusted. Done and dusted. Noel Rayson played in both the round three loss to Carlton and the round five loss to South before being dropped again due to form, and we know this happened two years ago when he was leading the goal kicking. Um, so he asked for a clearance and was released to South Melbourne. Yeah. He'd had enough. Round four, talking of the Swans, uh, Bobby Davis was best on ground, starting at full back and then moving to centre-half back uh, against them in a frantic last quarter, uh, but he couldn't get his team over the line as South held on for the slenderest of wins. In round six, they won their first match against Footscray. Fred Wooler kicked six, Nipper Trezides with three. Uh, pre-game, Wally Donald, who also retired from the Doggies, uh, did a lap of honour with Bernie Smith in their full kit. Nice. Mm. Originally, Wally Donald was going to do it by himself, but they kind of said, hey, Bernie Smith should do this as well. We'll acknowledge him before he leaves. Um, they made it back-to-back wins with a win over the Saints the following week, Wooler with six, but only two more wins would come for the season. Um, here's a funny story as well. In the round 11 loss to the Hawks, Cats players Jeff Williams and Ron Harvey warmed their cold feet up under a heat lamp before the game. When they were discussing this with their Hawthorne opponents, they were told that the Hawks players used a warm foot bath before putting on their boots. As you do. This is the height of winter. Uh, round 12, over, they had a round 12 win over Essendon by 15. Nipper, Nipper tries with six in this game. 
which was um, this game was covered in fog for quite a bit as well, where they couldn't actually see the scoreboard. Oh, really? From uh, other parts of the ground. Round 17, they beat the Doggies by seven. Uh, round 18, in their loss to the Saints, Bruce Welch, writing in the age, was scathing in his assessment of the Geelong players, saying, Geelong lacked the physical strength and heart for hard clashes. The young players' courage and determination must now be suspect. He concluded that Geelong would struggle to stay off the bottom in 1959. Oh, okay. Um, leading goal kicker? The leading goal kicker for Geelong was Neil Trezias with 27. Now... Has a team ever in the same decade won back-to-back flags and then back-to-back spoons? That's an excellent question. Because 51-52, and now the we're Cats were at... dominant. Now 57-58, back-to-back wooden spoons. Oh, last year as well. Yeah, sorry. So they've yeah. gone back-to-back on both ends. I think, I've, I've tried to have a think, I think it's the only time I've ever seen this happen. I can't... Yeah, there's nothing that I could think of. I mean, teams have won flags and spoons in the same decade, but not double, not back-to-back. No. No, that's very interesting. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Okay, I like that. Well, I don't. <laughs> well, it's not Melbourne. No, no, yeah, it's alright. I moving, can deal with it. Moving on, uh, another team that was dominant in the early 50s as well, Footscray. Yes. Six wins, 12 losses, a percentage of 97.3. Coach. So, uh, captain and coach this year by Ted Whitten. Great. Um, some big debutants as well. Uh, director Ron Howard made his debut. <laughs> um, James Bond novelist Ian Fleming also decided to take a season out of uh, his writing in the Caribbean to play for the Doggies. Amazing. And Ike Whitaker. Uh, John Schultz is another big one. 191 centimetres, 89 kilos. Was known as one of the gentle giants of football. Schultz was a champion ruckman despite being scrupulously fair. He was recruited from Victoria Country Club Abort. B-O-O-R-T. Schultz held the football... The Bulldog rucks together for many years and was an untiring worker for Footscray. Uh, he represented Victoria several times, was named as an All-Australian, won several best and fairests, was a highly respected footballing identity and later became an honorary member of the AFL Tribunal. Uh, so they lost lots of experience from the previous year, which was part of the fallout of the, Cutton, the sutton Witten coaching fiasco of 1957. In round one, they were absolutely crushed by Collingwood, which we'll hear about later as part of Collingwood's three-point plan. Their first win would come in spectacular fashion, though, in round three with a 61-point thumping of South Melbourne. The Doggies kicked 24 goals, 13, 157, including 11 goals in the third quarter. Jack Collins kicked six, Schultz, Connolly, and Costello with three each. It was their highest score since 1946. Massive. Yeah. Following his superb performance in Footscray's unexpected round 8 15-point win over Essendon, the Sun News pictorial journalist Rex Pullen christened Ted Whitten Mr. Football. There it is. There's the name. Round 10, they came from behind to beat St Kilda at the Junction Oval, holding the Saints to one behind in the final quarter while slamming on four themselves. Jack Collins leading the way with four goals. Round 13 was a thumping 73-point win over Richmond at home. They held the Tigers to just two goals for the game. Uh, Jack Collins with six. And round 16 was another massive win over top four team Fitzroy. They held them goalless in the second quarter. Sorry, in two quarters to win by 90 points. Um, there's a reason for this, which we'll get to when we talk about uh, Fitzroy. Oh, okay. Ted Whitten with five, Baxter and Ian Fleming with three each. The amazing thing was the Dogs couldn't even score at all in the first quarter. Not at all. They scored 0-0 in the first quarter. Unbelievable. 
So uh, the best and fairest, again for the second year in a row, was Mr. Football now, Ted Whitten. Mm -hmm. And the lead goal kicker was Jack Collins with 49. Great. Um, All right, next up is Richmond in 10th spot. The Tigers, the Toothless Tigers. Uh, This is their second second fall from grace. Yeah. Voting for their fourth at the moment. Seven wins, 11 losses, 88.5 percentage. So uh, coached this year by Alan McDonald, captained by Roy Wright. Uh, the best and fairest winner was Dave Cousins. Here's a debut time for you. Tris- Trista Delorenzo. Hey! Um, Melbourne actually uh, had him playing with them. Um, they, they had already signed him, but he was denied his clearance because he was residentially tied to Richmond, oh. having lived in Oakley for 13 weeks, so... You're kidding. He wasn't allowed to play for Melbourne, had to play for lowly Richmond. So he lived there for 13 weeks? Yeah. Therefore, he's tied to Richmond. Unbelievable. Delorenzo. Delorenzo. Um, Maury Fleming replaced Harry Dyke as club president as well. So a bit of change at the top there. Started the season well. Three wins on the trot over South by 25, the Doggies by 42, and the Saints by 15. Uh, after round five, they beat sorry, they beat the Cats in round five, and they were four and one and sat equal second on the ladder. They've really only beaten the Shockers, though. But then they lost five. <laughs> Uh, in the round 10 lost to Carlton they only managed 2 goals 9 for the whole match Charlie 2-9 uh, yeah, no. yeah, leading to a spectator attacking Roy Wright in the race after the game teammate Ted Langridge chased the assailant onto the ground but couldn't catch him however a relative of Roy's did catch him and he felled the spectator <laughs> they bounced back to win in round 11 and 12 but would only win one of their last 6 which was over Geelong by 21 at Punt Road in the final round, they took on Essendon at home and piled on seven straight goals in some of the greatest football they'd played that season anyway. But then they allowed Essendon back into the game and ultimately lost by eight points. Uh, what can you do? Mm. Goal kicker? Uh, the leading goal kicker uh, for Richmond Sorry, was... Jeez, it was tied at the top there. Ted Langridge with 28, Ron Brandt and Just Barnum with 26. Yes. Bob Dummett with 21. There you go. Yeah. You, really tell, you can always tell how a club's going by how many goals they're letting goal kickers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 20, 28, not a great, yeah. No. Not great. Not great. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, in ninth position is South Melbourne, the Swannies. The Swannies, yes. Seven wins, 11 losses as well. A slight 0.2% better than Richmond, 88.7. Ooh. Point. It's not pretty there. So 58, coached by Ron Clegg, captained by Ron Clegg. Best and fairest, no surprises. Bobby Skilton. Yeah, so Ronnie Clegg taking over as coach as well. Yes. Um, Derby top was Terry Brain. Well, that sounds, name sounds familiar because his father, Terry Brain Sr., was a club champion. Oh, okay. Um, now, round one against Richmond, the club lost Ian Gillett pre-match with tonsillitis. Um, and only one of three of one... Um, he was... Uh, and Ian Gillett was only one of the three players South had with 100 games of experience, at least. Oh, okay. They had quite a young side. Yeah, lost a lot. Yeah, they couldn't score in the third quarter, and at one point they kicked 11 consecutive behinds. They lost the game by 25 points, kicking 12 goals, 23. Now, Cleggie's first win as coach was in round four. They knocked off the Cats by a point, courtesy of a late goal from Freddie Goldsmith. Uh, Their winning ruck combination and clever Rovers guided them to a win, and Skilton was one of the best kicking four. Of course he was. I mean, Bobby Skilton... He's dominating in the middle already, but also kicking goals. Yeah, he's a he's a uh, he's a he's a weapon. Like, he's now he's an, now's idea of a great midfielder. Yeah, absolutely. That's what you want them doing. Yeah. 
Um, round seven, they knocked off the Blues at home, although they again kicked poorly with 10 goals, 17. During the round nine loss to Melbourne, South Melbourne fans protested a contentious umpiring decision after paying a free kick to Ian Redley during the last quarter, <laughs> after he'd already kicked the goal when he was flattened by an opponent. They threw bottles at the umpire, and two balls were stolen when they landed in the crowd. <laughs> after, after round 12, they were last with just two wins. Oh, sad. Round 13, former cat Noel Rayson made his club debut. We talked about him leaving the Cats earlier. We did, yeah. Um, and in this game, although Skilton was missing following a corky from the state game, uh, Brian McGowan starred as a replacement for him. Goldsmith was dominant, and the Swans beat the Lions by 32. They beat the Dogs by 33, and Skilton was back kicking another four. Then the then they beat the Cats, ensuring they wouldn't take the spoon. Uh, their two Ruckman were missing, but their replacements, Ian Gillett and Ken Boyd, were dominant, and they won by eight points. Round 16, in another lakeside showdown, which was also Ron Clegg's 200th game. The Swans won by 22 points, uh, and there's a very interesting uh, incident goal kicked in this game you possibly read about. Yes. Tragedy of errors. South wingman Ian Tampion was given a free kick a fraction of a second before the siren went at three-quarter time. He was standing near the uh, the boundary on the grandstand wing and decided to take his kick. They thought, why not? The crowd laughed at him and hollered at him. But Ian, a commerce student at Monash University, had worked out the percentages. The wind was strong and blowing his way. <clears throat> Tampion's kick flew about 55 metres before hitting the turf. But then it bounced and bounced and bounced towards goal. Several St Kilda players who had been making their way to the team huddle realised the danger and chased after the ball. Too late. But it was all too late. The ball bounced about 30 metres straight through the middle of a goal. Uh, it was the only goal of Tampion's career. That is great. What a game. But what that's a the only one. Kicked. I mean, it'd be better if it was the end of the game. Yeah. Um, but still. Following the game, Ron Clegg was given a check worth around £509, and an unnamed fan gave him £100. Hey. Um, but yeah, great story. That is so good. I love it. Then a hard-fought game with Hawthorne forward for South. Um, so in this game with South trailing, Fred Goldsmith missed a chance to put the Swans in front. But not long after... Um, New recruit Noel Rayson kicked the winning goal in the last quarter to see the Swans home by two points. A huge crowd of Swans supporters swarmed the ground to cheer the Swans. Uh, they won five of their last six, but it was too little, too late. Too late, yeah. No so good. At least they didn't finish last. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, lead goal kicker for the Swannies this year was uh, Max Oten with 34. Mm. Fred Goldsmith with 33. Nice. Just below him. Uh, all right, in eighth position, we have the Saints. Seven wins and 11 losses also. The Lakesiders can't get away from each other. Ah, 92.2%. Mm. So uh, ca- coached by Alan Killigrew and captained by Neil Roberts this year, best and fairest winner was Neil Roberts. Yeah, and remembering they'd uh, lost Brian Gleeson as well. Yeah. Um, Moz talked about that last episode. He did his knee in the opening minutes of the first practice match. That's right. Which ended his I career. The reigning Brella medalist. Um, some debutants include uh, a very well-known player who will come to know, Verdon Howe. Mm. Good name. Uh, 178 centimetres, 77.5 kilos, so quite light. Was a great fullback whose dashing, attacking style was ahead of its time. St Kilda signed him at 17, but he refused to leave Tasmania for two years. Uh, then a clearance wrangle delayed the start of his career in 1958. He'd been mainly a half-forward in Tassie, but had shown promise at a half-back in 1957. And uh, coach Alan Killigrew decided to use him in the problem spot at full-back um, when he eventually won a clearance late in 1958. 
Alan Morrow and Bill Stevenson are back legally this time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, from, uh, from Gippsland. So they lost round one. Round two, they took on Essendon and Killigrew told his team, Essendon think we're a bunch of weakies and I've been <laughs> called a ratbag. Essendon has too many petty, pretty players who like to take their time to get rid of the ball. Don't give them a moment's peace. Well, that's good. That's they what we want to hear. They took on and beat the Bombers. Alan Jeans was best on ground and Bill Young kicked seven. In round four, new six foot five big man Ray Barrett helped St Kilda to a 38 point win over Carlton. Paul Dodd and Alan Jeans with kicked four each. In this game, Brian Walsh of St Kilda, in an attempt to rush the ball through the Carlton goals, socketed the ball himself, only for the umpire to award the goal to Carlton. What? St Kilda lodged the protest, and the umpires, but the umpire's decision stood. However, after a review following the review following the game, the umpire was Changed stood down, the but the goal stood. What? And thus, Brian Walsh played 131 games, never kicked a goal for St Kilda, but is credited with kicking one goal for Carlton. <laughs> that is great. I don't know if that's better than Tampion's goal. That's amazing. <laughs> Kicked a goal for Carlton. Oh, how long did you play with them for? No, nah, never did. <laughs> Someone I, I know. Um, I know. Gigs on Twitter. He's writing a book about all the players who have played one game. Yes. A book about all the players who have kicked one goal because these two stories we've just talked it's about so are amazing. Good. That one goal they kicked. They're so good. It's incredible. I love it. Uh, the Saints then beat South Melbourne in the year's first Lakeside pennant. Alan Jeans kicked a point in the dying minutes to give the Saints a win. Around this time, the players and club were asking the uh, the Junction Oval Cricket Club to improve the players' race and the visitors' rooms at Junction Oval. Yeah. Um, and it the the club didn't listen to them. It took a threat from the VFL to actually get them to do this. Really? The VFL threatened to move their round six game against Melbourne to Victoria Park. Because, so, because the state of it was yeah. no good. So yeah. it's gone from the jewel in the crown. Mm. To, uh, yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, yeah, it's been 50 years, exactly. Um over that, actually. It's been 60. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I took that. So, round six, they took on Melbourne. 32,000 fans flocked to the Junction Oval in a seesawing affair. With never too much in the game, uh, the Saints and the Demons were pretty equal. Late in the game, the Saints trailed by five points, and Alan Jeans clashed with Barassi in the middle. Jeans received a free kick. He passed to Ray Barrett, whose kick for goal gave them a one-point lead and ultimately their second one-point win in two weeks. This was their biggest win in two years. Of course it was. Reigning three-time premiers, and they've knocked them off. Yeah. Biggest wins the Saints have had for a long, long, long time. Uh, in round eight, they beat Fitzroy comfortably and found themselves in the four for the first time since 1950. <laughs> but then followed a string of injuries and five straight losses. They tried to play some of these players who uh, were a bit underdone and kind of got caught, caught out on that. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately fell from the from the, the four where they were. Verdon Howe was cleared by Tasmania and played in the round 13, lost to Essendon. However, in this game, he held Ron Evans to only one goal and was named best on ground. They beat Richmond in round 14, and in round 18, they finished with a strong win over, over Geelong. St Kilda led by 50 points at halftime, having kicked nine goals seven to one goal five. They won the game by 73 points. Neil Roberts starred and Bill Stevenson kicked five goals. Um... Leading goal kicker. The leading goal kicker. He's a very consistent player. Uh, was um, sorry, it it was, yeah, uh, Billy Young with with fifty six for the third year in a row. Fifty six for three years in a row. You're absolutely right. Yeah, fifty six in fifty six. 
Yeah. 56 and 7 and 56 and 8. Wow. Yeah. Um, there are two more highlights we'll talk about with St Kilda, but we'll get to them later on. Yes, absolutely. Which takes us to... The Blues. The uh, yeah, Carlton. Carlton. <laughs> the Carlton Blues. 18 wins, sorry, 8 wins, 10 losses, 91.9%. So worse than St Kilda's percentage, uh, but one, one extra win. Yeah. So, um... Coached by uh, Jim Francis and captained by Bruce Comden, their lead, uh, sorry, their best and fairest was Bruce, Bruce Comden as well. Some debutants include Bill Ark, Chris Pavlou, Bill Armstrong, I'm not sure if it's Billy Joe Armstrong from Green Day. He might have, he might have Just got in early, yet. yeah, maybe. Um, and Len Cotterell, whose grandson Matt Cotterell debuted for Carlton last year. Oh, nice. Uh, John Bonetti and a very famous Carlton name, Sergio Silvani. Hey. 183 centimetres, 92 kilograms. A big-hearted ruck rover who played at one pace but was tremendously reliable team man. Strong and willing, he was recruited from CBC Parade and became an immensely popular figure at Princess Park. He was an untidy-looking player whose down socks down style displayed sturdy calf muscles. He was a master of the ruck-roving role who reveled in the heat of the battle and bored in for the ball in swirling packs. Uh, Silvani had uncanny anticipation and judgment of the bounce of the ball and usually got boot to ball as soon as he could. He was no stylist in the facet of the game, although he constantly threatened retirement in the later part of his career. He always decided to play again. Um... He eventually, after he retired, became a long-standing Blues selector. Right, with the fallout of 57 being blamed on Ken Hands, the collateral damage of the falling out with Jim Francis continued. A reform group came in and took control of the club. Ken Hands did pre-season and played the practice games, but ultimately he was not wanted and therefore left the club. Really? Yeah. Round three against Geelong was Carlton's only win in the first seven rounds, so club's in crisis, you can tell that. Uh, the Blues Rovers, John Heathcote and John... And Doug Beasy were too classy for the Cats, despite roving to a losing ruck. Johnny James was moved to centre-half forward after some time and provided an avenue for attack, and Doug Beasy kicked five. Round five was one of their worst defeats ever at Vic Park. They kicked three goals for the day. Um, against the wind in the first quarter, they had 75% of the play, but managed only uh, four points. The home side, with less opportunities, made the most with four goals in that first quarter and ran away with the match after half-time. Serge Silvani debuted in round seven, uh, but his first win would be round eight next week when they beat the Hawks at Princess Park, lifting themselves off the bottom of the ladder. Good. Mm, not good. <laughs> they made it two in a row now, trailing the Dons, who were in front by nine points at three-quarter time. The Blues levelled the scores halfway through the final term, and the tension built. A few minutes before the <laughs> final siren, a rush behind by an Essendon defender gave the Blues the match. So they're pulling themselves back together, but it's too little too late, really, yeah. isn't it? For now, yeah. They then held Richmond to only two goals for the match, beating them by five goals at Princess Park. Richmond's two goals, 9-21, is their lowest ever score against Carlton. They made it four in a row when they beat the Doggies, although they had 15 more scoring shots, only won by 10 points. <laughs> Round 14, they beat the Cats again. The Blues were 18 points down at half-time, but kept the home side to just one goal in the second half and scored a morale-boosting victory. They beat the Saints by five. In their round 17 loss to Fitzroy by five goals, an incident occurred between Lyon, Ian Aston, and John Nichols. Um, a policeman came to tell Coach Jim Francis that he intended to charge Nichols with assault after the game. Following the game, Carlton President Lou Holmes tore strips off the officer, who lay no, no charges. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then he, the President of Carlton, challenged the police commissioner 
publicly to focus on controlling the crowd and letting the umpires control the game. Yeah. Their final win came in the last round at home against South Melbourne. Heading into the last quarter, the Swans were 11 points in front and looked likely winners. But their accuracy near goals was shocking. They kicked one goal seven while Carlton steamed home in the last 10 minutes, kicking four goals two to pinch a two-point victory. And finishing them off beautifully. Mm. There we go. So, um... As you said before, the lead goal kicker really is a sign of how a club's going. Uh, in 1958, John Heathcote was um, Carlton's highest goal kicker with 19. Lovely. So not ideal. Um, all right, moving up the ladder to Hawthorne in sixth position. Quite a fall from grace after last year's yeah. appearance. Absolutely. Um, they finished with nine wins, nine losses, 109.3%. So quite a big healthy percentage. No, so this year, uh, coached by Jack Hale again and captained by John Kennedy, their best and fairest winner was Graham Arthur. Yes, uh, debutante was Gary Rasmussen. Yes. Rasmus. Um, the 1958 season started in sensational fashion with a thrilling win over St Kilda at Glenferry Oval. Coming from 21 points down at three-quarter time, Hawthorne almost doubled their score in the last quarter. To steal the game by one point. In round three, they had a strong win over Essendon by 26. The Bombers scored seven goals six, and this would be their lowest score against the Hawks until 1974. And seven goals six isn't a very low score. I could, that's a, quite an average no. score these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they lost to perennial grand finalists in the undefeated Melbourne, the MCG, despite a gallant effort. <laughs> perennial grand yeah. finalists, but I like that. That was their 600th game. Ah. Hmm. The Hawks then strung together wins in round 5 and 6 with a 10-goal win over North and a 17-point win over South. Losses followed to Fitzroy and Carlton before wins over Footscray and Geelong had the side back in the four and looking strong. Perhaps, though, it was complacency that came into play mm. as the Hawks only won one of their next five. And you can imagine after last year, they'd be like, yeah, we're ready to take the next step. Yeah. We've got this. We know what we're doing. Looking too far ahead. Yeah. Looking at finals before they're in. Exactly. Amazingly, this run included repeat seven and eight point losses to sides Melbourne and Collingwood, so they can kind of compete but just can't yeah. get over the line. Another win over fourth place North was followed by a round 17 two point loss to South, which effectively ended the year for the Hawks. But in the last game, the Hawks fought out a four point thriller, knocking off third place Fitzroy. Um, six of the losses they had for the season were by eight points or less. Four yeah. of those were to top two sides. Well, yeah, mm. we know what that looks like. Yeah. Um, that comes back, you know. That that's all good. Like, be disappointing, but when you think of it that way, you'd be like, okay, well, we're still primed for fifty nine. Yeah, like they've done enough, but yeah, not but, quite. But it's those little games where you're losing by a little amount. So they, yeah, a few things to tighten up, and they they should be right there. In, in Absolutely. Uh, so lead goal kicker for them this year was uh, John Peck with twenty seven. Gregory. Gregory. All right, let's move up to the fifth place, Bombers. Ten wins, eight losses, a very healthy percentage of 111.3. But disappointing to not be... Yeah, just just missed out. So, coached by Dick Reynolds, of course, uh, and captained by Jack Clark this year, taking over from Hutchison, as we said. Um, The best and fairest winner was Jack Clark. And um, with Hutchie's retirement as well, there are now no more players left from the Reynolds Premiership era. There you go. That's the end. Um, Some debutantes, we've got Ken Fraser. 188 centimetres, 85 kilos. Was a rangy and agile centre-half forward who was one of the fastest big men in his era. He was a fine mark. 
And despite an awkward style of kicking, he was always effective, although when he kicked it badly in one game, he was a natural centre-half forward. He immediately won a place in the side for the first game of 1958. He had the rare knack of being able to break away and lead to the flanks and could run all day. He became a regular state rep and led Essendon as captain later on in his career. Um, he was quiet and religious, but was widely respected in the football community. That was Ken Fraser. And finally, we've got Alex Epis. Epis, Epis. 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 Joining, um, we know he sat out for two years because of uh, the WA refusing yes. to clear him. But there he is. He's, he's waited it out. He has a funny story about Alex Epis that um, Dan Eddy wrote about in his book. Um, when he when he was ready to play, he said to uh, Dick Reynolds, look, when I played in Perth, I used to have a, uh, I used to have a glass of sherry before, at three-quarter time, and I'd like to do it with Essendon or I'm not playing. He's like, oh, I don't know about that. And eventually he relented. So three-quarter time during games. Glass of sherry. Alex Epperson would have a glass of sherry. And, and not just like a nip either. He'd have like, like a, a glass. 300 mils. Yeah, that just loosened him up for the last quarter, did it? Yeah, <laughs> beautiful. Oh, I can't imagine playing with a belly full of sherry. Can you imagine? Yeah. What a strange choice of drink as well. Like something else maybe like, okay, I just need, you know, a shot of tequila just to really punch yeah. me or something. But yeah. no. Odd. Anyway, um, so Essendon won their opening match against Geelong by 37 points. Fred Gallagher leading the way with five goals. They had two losses in around... They had two losses, round two and round three. They lost to the Hawks. Then round four, they hosted Collingwood. And despite trailing at halftime, they ran out three goal winners. Following the round 12 loss to Geelong, Essendon sat seventh on the ladder and would likely need to win their remaining six games to qualify for finals. Round 13 was a step in the right direction. They smashed the Saints, uh, a nine-goal to one. Final quarter sealed a 75-point victory. Hugh Mitchell with four. Things were looking good. Um, and we get to round 17. So between round 13 and 17, they hadn't lost a game. Yep. They're on track for finals. They came up against North Melbourne at Windy Hill. A virtual battle for top for four. Fourth, isn't it? Yeah. Because Kangaroos were fifth. Here's the situation. Late in the last quarter, the Roos seemed set for the rare finals appearance when they led by 28 points, but suddenly these hopes were put on hold. North big man, Brian Skinny Martin, landed heavily in the centre and was still receiving treatment in the middle when Waddington of North Melbourne left the bench and raced onto the field. This gained the attention of the Essendon officials, who believed North now had a 19th man on the field. They immediately sent the runner to the uh, umpire. The umpire said, nah, no, no, not counting up. Don't be ridiculous. Runner went to Jack Clark, Essendon's captain, and said, go and talk to him. So Jack Clark went up to umpire Barber and said, you know, I request a player count. So John Barber's... John Barber? Frank... Bill Barber. Bill Barber stopped the game. Told North captain John Brady that Essendon demanded a head count and ordered North Melbourne players to line up. You ever seen the head count? Yeah, well... No. I've seen it in local games. It's rarely happened. It's only happened like three times in the AFL. Um, so if, if North Melbourne were found to have more than 18 players on the ground, do you know what happens? No. Their score gets wiped out. The entire score? Yep. They would have been, they were 52 points ahead. Their score would have been rubbed out and Bombers would be in finals, basically. Um, so he, they counted the players and surely, and you know, fair enough, there's something you can legally do, um, but they were found to have the right amount. There's 18 on the field uh, and they were allowed to keep playing. There we go. Um a strange five-minute delay. Barber cleared the visitors of any wrongdoing, um, and the, the decision was greeted with a mix of jeers and cheers from the stunned crowd of 27,000 people. 
um, and the Bombers' bewilderment turned into embarrassment when they learned that Waddington had legally replaced North's injured vice-captain Al Montello. Not run out to who'd replace... Who'd already walked off the field a considerable distance from the Essendon bench. There you go. Uh, the Bombers lost the game by three goals. Uh, and King and King Richard, Dick, Richard, Dick Reynolds, earned himself a new name. What? Count Richard. <laughs> um, Love it. Though Reynolds swears he had nothing to do with it. But I'm yeah. fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I said there before that they were 52 points up. They were. They, were, they had scored 52 points. Yes. It was a low-scoring game. So that whole score would have been wiped out That's, had yeah, they been found incredible. to have Incredible. Something happened once more since then as well. Has it? Guy McKenna called for it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Bombers beat Richmond in the last round by eight points, but it last, mattered little as North Melbourne won their final game and therefore qualified and it was for the finals. Essendon, here's a fun stat for you, had beat both the top two sides in the season and lost to the bottom two sides. There we go. Um, so, Timmy, the lead goal kicker for uh, Essendon this year was um, John Burt with 31. John Burt? Yeah. That sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's similar name to someone who, who we thought was playing. Yeah, um, yeah. Very good player, I've heard he is. Yeah, all right. Let's move into the C- top. Cousin. Cousin. <laughs> <laughs> let's move into the top four, Charlie. Let's do it. Um, and North Melbourne, who yes. you finished well below. They finished eighth. Before that, they were on the bottom, so they've, they've really worked their way back up here. 11 wins, 7 losses, a lowly percentage of 92.7, but still good enough to qualify. Well, you know what? When you were reading out the names of uh, who was playing in the uh, for the Victorian team before, and like, um, read out a couple of North names, you're like, yeah, they're going to be, they're coming up. Yeah. They're going to be looking good soon. So in this year, we've got uh, Wally Carter coaching, um, John Brady captain, uh, and Alan Aylett as best and fairest. Yeah. Um, a debutant was John Waddington, who we just spoke about. Yes, in that yeah. Um, so after a tumultuous last few years, uh, the only way was up for them, and they were kind of coming up. They certainly were. However, round one was a disaster, um, and we'll talk about that next. I'll leave it for the Fitzroy discussion. Their first win was in round two against Carlton by a goal, uh, but it would be their only win for the opening five weeks, so they had a shocker. Oh, gosh. With. However, they went on a six-game winning streak, starting with a nine-point win over Essendon at Arden. Round eight, former player Bob Wiltshire led the new team onto the field down in Geelong. Supposedly, they were all following him up the race and then he kind of ran on and they just stayed there and he made it all the way to the middle before he realised they were all still back at the race or still coming on. <laughs> um, he got a cheer from his old Cats supporters, though. The Kangaroos would embarrass the Cats, holding them to only four goals while winning by 67 themselves. They beat Richmond and South and St Kilda before Fitzroy stopped their winning run. Between round 12 and 17, they went win-loss, win-loss uh, and looked on the cusp of the finals berth. We talked about that win over Essendon by 17. Which they needed. Round 17. Yep. Uh, shaking off the effects of that player count and they followed that with a strong win at Victoria Park over Collingwood. Hey. Uh, with Schofield kicking two late goals to seal that game, which saw them sneak into the four by a game. Jeez, that's a tough sort of finish to the season. Well, Essendon, yeah. I assume as an Essendon supporter there, you would have been like, well... North play Collingwood next week. We just need to win, and Collingwood will beat North. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like you yeah. would accept that would be the expectation, but yeah. no. North Melbourne bloody beat. Or even just keep it close, right? Because yeah. SM were already on top of them. Yeah. So I've been like, let's keep this one close. We win next week. They're definitely going to lose. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. They did not. No. Uh, so um, the uh, lead goal kicker for the Roos this year was John Dogdale with 57. Dougie. Dougie. 
In third place, we have the new glamour side of the competition, Fitzroy the Lions, 12 wins, 6 losses, a percentage of 120.9. Now talk me through this, why are they the glamour side, Timmy? Uh, well, let's have a look at their season. Yeah. So, they're in the market. We know um, the coach from last year, Bill Stevens, had left for the country. Yep. They're in the market for a new coach. They asked Wally Carter at North Melbourne. He couldn't get a clearance. They asked Bert Deacon, who was mm-hmm. player of Carlton. Mm-hmm. He didn't like being their second choice, so he said no. Oh, really? So they went, they looked in their own backyard, and they thought, hey, Len Smith's been coaching the under-19s. He's been doing well. He knows all these players. Let's bring him in. Why would we be asking these, you know, has-beens when we could have the greatest coach that's ever lived? Len? Yeah. Okay. Not not Norm. Well, I mean, brothers. Yeah, and Len is credited with a lot of tactical stuff. That handbook? Len Smith's handbook? Absolutely. Incredible. If you haven't had a look at that, listeners, do yourself a favour. It is incredible. He's uh of the Smith. He's the underrated one of the two Smith brothers, though. Absolutely, has equally had a, as big an impact on the game. Yeah, not that Norm's overrated. I just <laughs> want to make sure that's out there. But Len is, you know, Len's been overshadowed by his younger brother. Um, so captain, coach, captain. Um, yeah. So as we said, coached by uh, Len Smith, captain by Alan Gale no, this year, Gale, yes. and uh, best and fairest. Who else is going to be? Tim Murray. Bulldog. Yeah. yeah. Round one was the perfect start. I alluded to this before. They played North Melbourne at Arden Street. They employed a game plan based on snappy ball movement by a band of clever little men. The Lions piled on six goals in each of the first three quarters while holding the Roosters just one in each of those. Um, The last quarter was five goals to two. The Lions won by 120 points. Kevin Wright with six. Ongarello with five goals, one. Owen Abrahams with four goals, five. This was at the time their third biggest win ever. Sixth sits fifth overall on their list. It's also their biggest, the biggest victory ever recorded at Arden Street by any team. Amazing! It's it's the forty uh, sixth best win they've ever had, in, according to Peter Carter. <laughs> then round two, they had a nine point win over South, and they were hailed as the glamour side that Len Smith had worked wonders with, basically the same team that had fought for the wooden spoon last That's season. That's right, just fast ball movement and stuff. Yep, yeah, beautiful. And really um, playing to the team's strengths. Yeah. So not playing players out of positions, playing with a game plan that really suited them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's a coach who really knows his players, and it helped that he'd coached these players in the under-19s as well. They'd yeah, of course, they'd system. come through, yeah. So he's so already got already, that relationship. Mm, they knew what they were getting from him as well, yeah. Um, a five-point loss to Collingwood stopped their run, but then they won four on the trot, smashing Richmond and Footscray by over nine goals each, accounting for Hawthorne, Carlton, and then they were surprised by St Kilda. But round 11... Battle of the Smiths. Here we go. This is what I was waiting Len for. Len versus Norm. Um, so, pre-game, in the week that lead up, they did a photo shoot with um, their mum. Love it. Um, she said, I just hope it's a draw. <laughs> um, Len and his coaching team hatched a plan for beating Melbourne that his players followed perfectly. Exploiting the high-marking but slow-moving John Lord in defence, keeping Bob Johnson and Ron Barassi quiet and stifling Laurie Miffin in the middle. They pulled a last-minute switch on Lord by switching the player who wasn't named to play against him for a quicker player before the bounce, and they sent Kevin Murray to the side of the ground where the wind was blowing, ensuring he was always in the play. Although they were helped by a strong wind in the first quarter, the Demons struggled for 10 minutes to score their first goal. The Lions then booted five in the second quarter. Mm. Kevin Murray was thrashing Jeff Tunbridge, giving one of the greatest exhibitions of back play ever seen. The Demons were beaten comfortably in the ruck, uh, Fitzroy covered their Rovers, and the result was the second defeat for the year for North, for Melbourne. North Melbourne, sorry, Norm Smith tried to counter with positional moves, but nothing worked. 
Um, the Lions won by 41 points. Massive. Number 17 on Rod, on Peter Carter's list. Um, in handing his brother's side their biggest loss since 1954, the grand final, the Roys won the mark count 66 to 37 and beat the Demons all over the park. So their biggest loss in five years. Mass. Yeah, love that. Yeah. I mean, I'll t- yeah, I'll cop that. Yeah. The Battle of the Brothers. I, yeah. I like that a lot. I'm yeah. all over that. Yeah, and I think I think um, Norm was quite like that as well. Like, if anyone's going to beat me, I'm glad. I'm glad it's Len. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, at this point. I think all the fans are like, what in Melbourne? What are you yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. It's the way we feel right now about Richmond, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, like we did about Hawthorne. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so they ended North's winning run in round 12. They smashed the Pies in round 14 with a 10 goal to two second half. Right with five, Ongarello with four. But following the round 14 win, Len Smith suffered a heart attack. Oh, yeah. Uh, it wasn't severe enough to do any damage, and he, he had to take a little bit of time away, but it was was back soon. Uh, Butch Gale filled in, but this kind of explains why they fell off the pace a little bit. They smashed the Tigers, but then they got smashed by the Doggies by 90 points, uh, despite the Lions holding them goalless in the first quarter. A five-point win over the Blues and a last game four-point loss to the Hawks saw them back in finals for the first time since 1952. Um, and one other fun fact is they were unbeaten at home. Not for the whole year. Yeah. Grace. Didn't lose a game at home. The cauldron. <laughs> The mud pit. <laughs> Love that. Uh, so their leading goal kicker this year was Big Tone, Tony Ongarello with ah. 53. Nice. All right. Moves us up to second. Collingwood, 12 wins, 6 losses. 123.7 percentage. Captain Coach, let's start. Yeah, let's start there. Okay. So coached by Fonz Kine. Captained by uh, Frank Tuck this year, taking yes. over from Billy Toomey. And also the first time ever Collingwood players voted on the captain. Ah. Usually the committee decides, so that was a, a change there. Okay. surprising because Collingwood are very reluctant to change their ways. Yeah, aren't they? Mm, well. Um, and uh, best and fairest winner was Thorold Merritt. Yes. This year. Some debutants include Errol Hutchison, Don Dixon, uh, and Brian Brewer. Oh, sorry. Brian Beers. They also have a player by the name of Brewer. <laughs> Ian Brewer, I believe it is. Brewer and Beers. Brewer Beautiful. and Beers. So, I mean, you can imagine the headlines, can't you? Yeah. Um, so the Pies not only wanted to win the Centenary Cup, but they also wanted to stop the Ds from equaling their four in a row. And Fonz Kine, like this was the whole focus of the club pre-season. Yeah. Like, we, we need to stop this. This is our legacy. This is our thing. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Um, and so they formed the plan pre-season. Um, and Fonz kind of really preached good old-fashioned teamwork to, to bring them up to speed. Um, round one, teamwork was the key, and they smashed the Doggies by 54 points. This game was one that they kind of earmarked, like, we think the Doggies are going to be up there. We, we need to make sure we beat them easily in round one. Then we'll know we're on our way. Second point of their plan was to beat the Demons in round 11, I think it was, and then their third plan was to make sure they were prepared for every game and wanted to give themselves the best possible chance to defend that yeah. premiership. Yeah, of course. Round two, they took on the Hawks, who seemed to have their measure, leading by four goals at the last change, but the Pies kicked six goals to one to win. Ray Gablich kicked the goal to put them in front, and Ian Brewer seal, kicked the sealer, Pies by seven. The Bombers, the Mighty Bombers, stopped their winning run in round four. But round five, they put on a second-half clinic, kicking 11 goals to one against the Blues. Um, Brewer and Beers put on a bit of a clinic themselves, kicking nine between them. Nice. Nice. They then smashed the Tigers again with a second half domination. They pushed South and St Kilda to the wayside with their eyes on the Demons on the Queen's birthday holiday. 
Um, and we might talk more about this from, I guess, the demon perspective. Yeah. Um, ultimately, the Pies lost that game, but we'll, we'll get to that game a bit more. Absolutely. Um, they were able to steady the ship against the Hawks and the Dogs the next few weeks before the Lions smashed them in round 14. They slipped up against the Bombers and they won in round 16 and 17, but still needed to win the final round to secure a double chance. And they thought they'd blown it as well because, we, as we discussed, they lost to North Melbourne. Yeah. But due to the Hawks only winning by four, four points, they were able to hold on to second place by 2.3%. Amazing. I mean, that would have changed everything. It would have, wouldn't it? Yep. Sliding doors. Yep. Um, so... There's lots to discuss about Collingwood, and I want to discuss stuff, but let's wait till after we've yeah, done the I can't believe thing. that. Yeah, unbelievable. All right, yeah, let's come back to it. Beautiful. Leading goal kicker was... Uh, leading goal, goal kicker for Collingwood was uh, Ian Brewer. Who I believe led the league as well. With 73, yes. With Huge. Yeah. Massive finals. when you think... I mean, really, Thorold Merritt was second with 30. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we know when Collingwood have a focal point up forward, they They look pretty good. Right, yeah. Uh, which gets us to the top of the ladder. The top of the ladder. The top. The Those demons. mighty demons. Three games clear of Collingwood. 15 wins, three losses, 123.7%, so the exact same percentage. Three games clear on the top of the ladder. <sighs> anyway, what can you do? Uh, what can you do? You know, these things happen. I wonder who it was. Uh, so yeah as we I mean of course coached by Norm Smith the greatest the Red Fox uh, captained by John Beckwith again best and fairest winner was where do you reckon well can't be Stuart Spencer because he's gone probably probably Brass Laurie Mithen yeah Yeah, good Brass yeah alright round one after the premiership pennant was unfurled the Demons got down to business and had opened a match winning lead uh, at three quarter time playing against the Blues here well, they managed one last quarter goal and the Blues tried to come back into the game, but they couldn't. Ian Ridley kicked five. To celebrate the club's centenary season, the coin tossed by John Beckwith to start the match was mounted and presented to the club by the VFL. Nice. I assume that exists somewhere still. Round two, even without the injured Ron Barassi and Frank Adams, Melbourne were too strong for their young opponents, the Cats. The Ruck division dominated and continually gave their Rovers the first use of the ball. They won by 68 points. It was Geelong's lowest score against Melbourne for 30 years. <laughs> And they're worst against them at home since 1915. Oh my gosh. Let's have a quick look at that score as well. We can. Round two, the Cats only scored six goals, six, so not terrible. Could have been much, much worse. What are we doing? Yeah, six, six to 17, eight. So yeah, not ideal. Round four, taking on the Hawks. Melbourne dug in and defended their six point lead late in the game. They actually had mounting injuries, so five injured players. And they couldn't come from the ground because the uh, the, the 19th and 20th man had been used, I believe. So John Beckwith lost vision in one eye due to a bad gash. Ron Barassi was, had a cold. Peter Marquis had an infected toe. Brian Dixon had a knee injury. And Ian Ridley was suffering from a kick to the back of his knee. Oh. But luckily, Dick Fenton Smith, playing in his first game for the season, was dominant in the ruck in the last term and helped the Demons to hold on. Young Diggy. Round five was a grand final rematch. The Bombers uh, opened up a 23-point lead at the long break, um, and they kicked the first two goals in the third term and led by six goals. Game looked over. But it wasn't, was it, Jimmy? Turn the page. (laughs) That was Melbourne's cue to launch a comeback. They unleashed a six-goal-to-one final term to snatch an eight-point win. Uh, Essendon had been overrun, conceding nine goals to one in the last 40 minutes. (laughs) 
<laughs> Round six in the worst conditions of football for season to date. With heavy winds ruining games, the unbeaten Demons took on the Saints at a packed junction oval. The Demons had several chances to win, but selfish players trying to win the game off their own boot and a sound defeat for their half-forwards cost them. The Saints beat the Demons by one point. During the week, Norm Smith and his players had a round-table meeting where problems with the team's play the week before were discussed openly. Several of the players were under fire to bounce back, and they did so against the Bulldogs in Round 7. Although it did take until the last 15 minutes for the more experienced Demons, propelled by Ian Ridley, to take control of the match... They beat the Dogs by 23. Ridley kicked four as the rest of the forward line kind of faltered. Athol Webb was goalless. Um, Bob Johnson kicked two goals, six from ten set shots. Yes. All within 30 yards of goal as well. Ugh. Round 10. You can't forget In that. front of a record, still a record crowd. Yes. Of 99,346. So still a record. I was thinking, I was wondering about that. Match. Yeah, yes. for a home and away, yeah. This is the original Queen's birthday holiday match. Yeah. Isn't it? Um, yeah, so beating the previous home and away record by like 41,000. Yeah, like absolutely putting it in the ground. Uh, yeah. Melbourne took on Collingwood. Um, and we know, you know, um, obviously the papers have been beating up. This is going to be the rivalry. They played in like the last two grand, two of the last three grand, grand finals. finals. Melbourne are trying to equal that record in the premiership. So all eyes are on, on here. But Melbourne, the whole city of Melbourne didn't realise the extent to what this was and trams and trains and buses and everything was overloaded and it was just mayhem apparently uh, so in front of this record crowd two teams put on a a game befitting of an occasion nearing half time Melbourne had a lead of four goals but Collingwood bounced back to shave the margin to 11 points long break they had momentum in the third and they kept coming and coming but Melbourne did just enough to keep them at bay um, they won this game 12-12-84 uh, to 10-13-73 Melbourne won in the ruck and in the air, were faster. They had Star Rover. They had the Star Rover on the field in, in Ridley and the best ruckman in Ron Barassi. Ridley kicked five, Barassi three. Um, and John Beckwith recalls that when I ran out onto the ground, all I could see was the crowd. The only difference with the 1956 Grand Final, when 115,000 packed in, seemed to be that none of the spectators had spilled over the fence to sit inside the boundary line. <laughs> Massive. Yeah. So this would be, I believe. Melbourne's ninth win or ninth game they played Melbourne played Collingwood where they hadn't lost because we had the one draw yes yeah yeah, yeah of course yeah. so ninth ninth non-loss yeah. in a row yeah gosh um, take that immediately after this game um, was their loss to Fitzroy which was their worst in five years so the Demons appointed Ron Baggett as an assistant coach hey okay he was employed to do specialist work with players while Smith directed training generally so very progressive old Noel Smith. I think um, Smithy, and you've been reading the book as well, Tim, he's, he was not a, ma- not a man who was working skills with his players. He's like, if you're on my list, you already know how to play football. Exactly, yeah. yeah. You're going to play... Well, I'm teaching you how to play the way I want you to play. Yeah, so maybe that was kind of the Kind of, reason. and there's a, there's a story in the book about how he, he said, like, Baggett, go and take uh, Bob Johnson up to the goals and have, have some practice with him. And so Baggett and Johnson go up and practice, and then Smith runs up like five minutes later, he's like, what are you doing? And, Bag- and um, Johnson's there, like, at the 50-metre line, having shots at goal. And, like, he doesn't, he doesn't take any shots from 50. Get him, like, where he kicks goals from. It's a good point, yeah. Yeah, so even having him, he's still controlling what's happening. what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Round 12 at Princess Park against Carlton. It took... <laughs> in the first half, it took five minutes to get a dog off the field. <laughs> Carlton were the better side in the first half. But after a forceful half-time address by Norm Smith, the Diamonds showed... The Diamonds. The Demons showed improvement. 
in the third before Carlton took over. Uh, but they only kicked one goal four, including three misses from within 10 yards. Ugh. And then Melbourne exploded, booting seven goals, including four goals... Sorry, kicking... Booting seven goals, including six goals four to zero goals zero in a 15-minute burst to take a five-goal lead. Barassi was acting as captain in Beckwith's absence and was judged best player. Nice. They took on South in round nine. Uh, and this is the game where they threw bottles because uh, they weren't happy with the umpire and they beat South. Round 15 against the Hawks at the sardine tin. Demons had reached the Demons lead reached 33 points and they seemed home but the Hawks fought back again and again and cut the gap to a goal they kicked five goals in 15 minutes to get within that goal before Ian McLean sealed the game for the Demons round 16 against Essen Demons lost a thriller to the Bombers by three points finally the Bombers are getting <laughs> in this game Ron Barassi made a massive gaffe so he tried to take on a player on the mark 50 metres out by balking him mm-hmm. and Barassi thought he was quite good at this but he actually wasn't this is one of the faults of his game. Um, it was actually the fourth time in this game he'd attempted this move, and, and none caught. of them had been successful. Um, this, following this, Norm Smith absolutely hammered him to the point of tears in the rooms. Um, and it's reading both the, the Norm Smith book and the Barassi book. It's in both. It's in both, and he seemed to go at Barassi more than anyone else. Yeah. Almost to the point where it was ridiculous because he had that relationship with Ron Barassi, so he never wanted to seem like he was favouring him. Yeah, so he so went, went too harder. far the other way. Yeah. Um, so in this game, the Bombers flashed home to take the lead, um, and because Barassi didn't have that luck, he uh, the Demons lost. During the game, uh, Bob Johnson had a kick at goal and it struck an, a, mem- a fan, a Bombers lady in the audience. He ran to the fence to apologise, only to receive an unladylike insult for his troubles. <laughs> <laughs> Um, round 17, the Demons were encouraged by a fiery halftime speech from Noel Smith. Uh, and from then, they were powered to victory by Ron Barassi to beat the Saints by 50. Beat the Dogs in the final round to finish top of the ladder again. Again. All right, so seasons as normal. Demons on top. I mean, as where they should be, where Norm, they belong. Norm's getting a bit testy. Yep. But otherwise... Things are okay. Normal testing. Before we get to the finals, let's uh, let's check in with Moz to see uh, who won the Brownlow and maybe she can... Oh. The Brownlow down low with Moz. St Kilda's Neil Roberts won the Brownlow this season, finishing with 24 votes. Behind him on 22 votes was Hawthorne's Brendan Edwards and trailing him on 19 votes was South Melbourne or the Bloods, Bob Skilton. Like Albert Collier, Dennis Ryan and Fred Goldsmith before him, Roberts won the Brownlow as a defender, having started off his career as a forward. His full talent didn't show until he started playing as a defender. He was 185 centimetres, 86 kilograms, and had great pace, courage, determination and all-round football skills. In Peter Bill- Peter Blair's book, there are a couple of great quotes, and here's one um, from shortly after Roberts won the Brownlow. He had a photo session at Channel 9, which involved him wearing a pair of Fletcher Jones pants while sitting in a Holden car with his arm around a model. I thought I'd have a chance to get the model's phone number, maybe keep the pants, and possibly even get the car. I got none of them, said Roberts. <laughs> Poor fella. Although Jack Dyer claims to have had the longest kick in football history, the day that he kicked the ball out of Glenferry Oval and it went onto that, onto that train and finished in Yarra Glen, Neil Roberts also says that he is actually the holder of that title. And this is his quote. 
One day at Mawson, with the wind blowing a gale, I kicked a football out to sea and I couldn't see it land. It must have landed in Africa because that's where I was facing, said a grinning Neil Roberts. All right, Charlie, it's that time. I've got me some night fever. You've got some night fever, do you? Tell us. Tell All us right. who won the night series in 1958. Tell us the story. Ah, okay. Well, Were all the teams involved again? The, uh, the 1958 series. So, uh, no. Not all the teams were involved again, because as we talked about last time, it didn't really work out, because those teams weren't taking it too seriously. Yeah. And, yeah. So it was 5th to 12th. Uh, they were still competing for the Kenneth Luke Trophy. Yes. Um, and uh, the winning team received a £400 cash prize this year. Increased, it was doubled from £200. And the runner-up receiving prize money for the first time of also £200. Yes. Uh, so... And was it held before the finals? Or during the finals? It was held... Uh, it started on August the 28th, so before the finals. Okay. Yes. Yes. And finished after finals? Yeah, well, it must have. Hang on. Let's, let's just check... Make, I'm just going to check these dates one more time for us. The grand final being... Was the 20th of the 20th of September. So it was it was before the grand final, absolutely, because it finished Monday the 22nd. So yes. Monday after the prelim. Yeah, Monday after the prelim. So there you go. Oh. 22nd uh, is the Monday after. So it finished after on the 22nd. So it finished. I uh, started on started before, finished after. Yeah. Wow. Very interesting. Well, the crowds, I mean, are nowhere near it. No. Uh, so, starting off, you know, you've got games every couple of days, basically, every four days, or a couple, yeah, couple of days between them. All of them being played at 8pm. Uh, we've got Essendon beating Geelong to start with. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Beating them quite comfortably, yeah. Carlton beating Richmond, St Kilda beating Footscray, and Hawthorne beating South, which takes us to those semi-finals. Carlton unfortunately beating Essendon there, Timmy, 72 to 52. And the Saints beating Hawthorne, 91 to 46, putting them in the ground. So the grand final on the 22nd of September, St Kilda Carlton, and St Kilda won it. 16, 13, 109 to 15, 11, 101 in front of 27,800 people, getting their 400 pounds and running off home. Will they be uh, flying that flag from the flagpole around 1959? You'd hope so. Oh. You've got to make the most of it when you can. Take take the victories, I say. Um, in that game, we looking at some stats. Young kicked six goals as well for the Saints. Silvani, four for the, the Blues. And the Blues had quite the comeback in the last quarter. They kicked six goals to two. Just got eight That's right. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Hmm. There we go. St Kilda. That's only the second thing they've ever won, I believe. Like, they, they won another night series. Like That's the first right, one yeah, yeah, yeah. in the 40s. That's the second thing they ever won. Well, it is. It is. The second piece of trophy. Piece like, of silverware, include, flag. Yeah. Unless yep. you include the reserves, but... Yeah. yeah. I'd take it. If I was a Absolutely you would, wouldn't you? All right, finals. Finals, here we go. Here we go. All right, brace so, yourself. So, again, like the following se- last season, Melbourne were the only team from the previous year's Final series to hold their spot in the finals. Yes, because Collingwood just missed it last year. Yeah, yeah. Um, so round one, we have Fitzroy taking on North Melbourne. That's right, in front of sixty-eight thousand two hundred thirteen people at the G. Uh, and what a game! So we've got some pre-match audio here 
by Len Smith. So let's have a quick listen. Oh, yes. All right, lads. The big day has arrived. A real big day as far as we're concerned. I've told you before we've come a long way. You've achieved something which many a good footballer hasn't achieved, and that is to run out on the Melbourne ground in a semi-final for your club. It is something to be proud of and something you have earned. I told you last night you've come from everywhere and formed yourself into a club. A wonderful club, chaps. A club not great in numbers, but good. Something good is the core, and you boys are the core of this club. And I believe that you are, you are good, and I believe you're going to go out there and give everything that you've got. Everything that you've got. Not 90% to bring this club success. To do it, lads, you've got to go against very worthy opponents. They're going to be tough. They're going to be hard. We talked about plans last night. We had it all worked out. And we know very well that at North, they want to win it every bit as much as you. But I feel that they'll crack under the strain and fall into their old habits of giving free kicks. If you, if you make him earn their kicks the hard way, if, when they get the ball, that you're going to tackle them and you're not going to let them get away with it easy. If you keep in front of the man and take advantage of their ground. All the ifs in the world, lads, and it's only talk, possibly forgotten once you run it onto that ground. There it is, an achievement of this club. I don't know whether, we've had, whether it's had parallel before, but we've got it now. Love that. Nice. So, um, unfortunately for Fitzroy, Kevin Murray and Don Furness, their two state representatives, were both out injured. Well, I mean, you're, you're, you're in a lot of trouble. But it was you? anyone's match in the first half. Uh, teams were separated by just a point. At the at the long break, yes. Yeah. North took control of the game, however, and Fitzroy player Ian Aston was fell behind play. The Roos slammed on two goals while he was in the hands of trainers, and they went into three-quarter time with a three-goal lead. Those t- sneaky two goals. And the final quarter was a desperate struggle. The Lions scored four last-quarter goals to hit the front. But North... Nil- nor- yeah, yeah, so yeah, Fitzroy sorry. hit the front. Yeah. Um, just by two points. But Neil Doolan and John Brady of Northam wouldn't say die. So in the dying minutes, Alan Aylett flattened Vin Williams of Fitzroy. Williams was given a free kick on the win. Uh, he was in a bit dazed, but he passed the ball to Gale in the middle. But umpire Barber called the ball back. Some kind of infringement had happened, mm-hmm. whether it was, you know, he kicked, hadn't kicked over the mark or Aylett did something. So the they, players all manned up. There was no free man. Vin Williams tried to pass to Eddie Goodger, but he slipped in the mud. Oh. In swept Laurie Twinkletoes Dyer, who raced off with the ball. He found Noel Teasdale, who slotted the winning goal that saw the Roos home by just four points. Four points, 66 to 70. Mm. Massive. After the game, Lions captain Butch Gale was lying on the floor exhausted. He looked up, opened his eyes, looked up, and there standing over him was Fonz Tobin, ex North Melbourne president and you know founder of Tobin Brothers Funeral Homes. He said, oh, First thought that went through my head was that I was dead. Huh? <laughs> Love it. Love it. So taking us to the second semi then, Melbourne versus Collingwood in front of 77,350 people. So in the lead up to this game, the Demons were put through one of their hardest training sessions for the season. Uh, But they had no injury worries. Uh, Smith could afford to work on conditioning the entire squad. He was reported to have ended the session with players coming off the ground tired by saying to them, I don't hear much talking from you fellows. What's the trouble? Bit short of breath, are you? (laughs) We must have done some really hard training one of these. We must... We must have some really hard training one of these nights. Sicko. He's a sicko. He is. Um, the Demons outpaced Collingwood and survived their violent tactics to put the match-winning lead on the board in the first quarter, kicking five goals to one. Yeah. They kicked four goals in the first term, won their fifth from a needless free kick. Um, 
And won quite comfortably in the end, 11, 12, 78 to 4, 9, 33. So that's what, 20, 23 scoring shots to 13. Absolutely smashed them. Through to their fifth straight grand final. And as you just said, if Collingwood hadn't had the second chance, mm. the double chance. After weeks done. of uh, anti-umpire criticism in recent weeks, umpire Alan Nash was in the firing line with both sets of fans venting their displeasure at his selected... His, Displeasure at his selection to control the important match, and he was handed a potentially volatile clash as the Pies tried to go knuckle to knuckle with Melbourne to put oh, them off. Okay. So yeah, the, the Pies were just really violent with Melbourne, trying to put them off their game, but yep. did not work at all this time. Keep your eye on the ball, they say. Indeed. You know. So the prelim then. So uh, a sore and battered Collingwood, licking their wounds from getting absolutely flogged by Melbourne, uh, come back against. North, 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 yeah, North, um, and they and North was the favourite here as well. Everyone had written Collingwood off, saying you know they're going to go out in straight sets. They haven't got what it takes. They made a heap of positional changes as well um, to really shake things up. In the opening quarter, the Brews braced themselves for a physical contest. They thought the Pies were going to hit them like they'd hit Melbourne, but they didn't. So instead, the Pies actually played played the ball and and kicked five goals, five to one goal, one. While North was still waiting for the hit. Yeah. Yeah. So they were being very reactive, which isn't a way to go into a no. final. Um, the Pies actually kicked five goals, five behind straight to start the game as well. Then kicked into gig and kicking the five straight goals after that. Uh, the Kangaroos had the wind in the second quarter. They had ten shots on goal, but kicked one goal nine. Mm. So Collingwood's one straight goal. The Pies made no mistakes with the wind in the third, kicking five three to take a commanding lead. Alan Allen. Alan Aylett tried to lift the ruse in the last quarter, but his three goals weren't enough as the Pies ran out 20-point winners. Yeah, so final score there, 14-12-96, beating North Melbourne's 10-16-76. So, same amount of scoring shots. Yeah. Yep. So Miles this gets us to the grand final. The third time in four seasons it's been Melbourne-Collingwood. Um, I think this is the fifth time overall they've played Melbourne have never lost to Collingwood in the grand final that's right beating them the last 10 times before we talk about that there was a massive issue with the football record yes do you want to talk about it uh, no no you, yeah go we'll do it yeah well they wanted to increase sales of the, the football record because the VFL owned it yeah um, but they had an issue where the newspapers and I believe a university students were like handing out lists yeah selling lists basically, of players yeah. and kind of undercutting them yeah so in order to stop this, they ordered that the grand final teams that Melbourne and Collingwood change their numbers. Yeah. So for this game only, the Melbourne and Collingwood players have completely different numbers, which would also throw you off a bit. Of, like, we talk about routine and stuff with absolutely. grand finals. This would absolutely throw you off. Um, so yeah, they had they had different numbers. So it would be weird watching Barassi running around with number two instead of number 31. Yeah, exactly. There's only one player, I think it might have been Ray Gablich, who, who had the same, same number. because they couldn't find a jumper big enough to, to fit, fit him. him apart from his own. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, so this is an established VFL convention that still happens. So in most other sports, you get the number... Based on your position. position. Um, yeah. So yeah, so the general rule here is um, it has no connection with position the individual occupies in the match. It's issued by the player's football club prior to his first match and registered against his name and usually remains unchanged through a player's career, even if they change club. Uh, Sorry. Yeah, sometimes. Even Remains if unchanged throughout a player's career at, with that club and can mm. often follow him follow from club to club. club to Not club, always, yeah. yeah. You're right. Although, lots of clubs do sort of change players' jerseys. For the really high ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not mid-season, though. 
No, no, yeah, no. yeah. But often, like, once a player sort of establishes them, themselves, they get a number that means something to that club. Yeah, or like Maxi Gorn getting an eleven or something. Yeah, like or you, that. Get a, you yeah. get a champion retiring, yes, handing his number on to onto someone, someone else, else. To, to bring that legacy. But very aggressive by the VFL as well, Isn't which it? kind of makes them in line with the AFL we know today. Like that's a, that's a very AFL. Yeah, move. it's like no, you'll do what we tell you. Mm. All right, should we get to this grand final? Yeah, if we must. Right now we got something a little bit different. So, set that it's twentieth of September. Yeah. In front of how many people? Ninety-seven thousand nine hundred and fifty-six. So less, less than the Queen's, than the Queen's birthday. birthday. The MCG on a wet and windy day. Now, before we talk to Murray Wiedemann, um, you mean John Beckwith? No. <laughs> we actually have some audio footage, audio of. Fonz Kind's big important speech before the before game. The game. So we're going to we're going to turn on the way back when machine. We're going to listen to that and then go straight to the end of the game where we've uh, we've lined up Murray Wiedemann, who was acting captain this day. Um, so let's have a chat with him. Players, we have been together for six months, training, sweating our hearts out through the depths of winter, and what for? To win the most coveted football award in the nation, a VFL Premiership. No other club in VFL history has won more Premierships than Collingwood, and our club holds another proud record of four Premierships in a row. Today, our enemies have a chance to equal that record. Chaps, are we going to let that happen? The selectors have chosen a team that we know will not let us down. I want you to think for a moment of the great champions who have represented this club. Firstly, your president, Sid Coventry. No finer leader has ever graced the field. Names like Leader Collier, Gordon Coventry, Jack Regan, Lou Richards, Bill Toomey and scores of others who have bled for Collingwood down through the years. Today, I want you to bleed for Collingwood, bleed for me. I'll be out there every second of the game. I'll be giving and feeling every bump. I'll be taking every mark, getting every kick. We will be doing this together. Forget about the big names in the Melbourne side, Bob Johnson, Don Williams, Bluey Adams, Laurie Mithen. Who are they but flesh and blood like you? They bleed like anyone else. And as for Ron Baresi, we'll leave him to Hooker Harrison. Hooker? You are not to leave this side. Make him earn every kick. That's if he gets one. Bump, push, shove, harass him. I want every player to chase and harass his opponent for every second of the game. Frustrate him into errors. If you get knocked over, I want you to crawl on your hands and knees after the ball. Kick it off the ground. Push it forward. I want you to go for the ball with every bit of might in your body. There will be times when you're exhausted, when you can hardly breathe. That is when I want. That is when I want you to go harder, as hard or harder than any other Collingwood player before you. Today, you make history. You could be the side that downs what the critics have called the greatest football team in modern times. Remember, the ball is your objective all day. If anyone starts any rough stuff, forget it. Leave that to your skipper Murray Wiedemann as mate hooker. Now go out and stir up the stove and bring in a premiership. Well. <laughs> well, okay, Murray Wiedemann. We welcome to the Kick to Kick podcast. Now we've just had a listen to the speech that Fonz gave pre-game, and I got to tell you, we've got goosebumps. 
Wow, you heard it? It was pretty intense stuff. But he hit the nail right on the head, evoked the spirit of Jock, whipped us into a fury and sent us out ready to play our part. Now, tell us, uh, would you say there was desperation at the Magpies this year, Weeds? Yeah, it was a real focus. I guess from the end of last year, when we knew that the demons were within sight of our record, we wanted to do whatever we could to prevent those Melbourne toffs from tarnishing our proud achievement. Um, how did Fonz approach things pre-season? Oh, he really just preached teamwork. The club had a three-point plan. One, beat the doggies in an away round one clash. Two, knock off Melbourne in their round ten clash. And three, plan for games carefully so that we put ourselves in a position to win the flag. We checked off two and three so we knew that we were in with a chance. Now, just before we get to the excitement of today, um, that first game against Melbourne uh, in round, round two, the big clash with the Demons... Yeah, point on, two, I think he said. Yeah. Oh, point two, sorry. Yeah. Um, the big clash with the Demons on Queen's birthday was just huge. You didn't get the win, but that was a real finals-like atmosphere. Too right it was. Almost 100,000 screaming fans. The biggest rivalry there is. We were primed for this one. Both teams went at it hammering tongs. And unfortunately, we fell short that day. Boy, did we put on a show. Someone had to lose, but, well, they were just the better team on the day. Yeah, so let's, uh, let's fast forward a few months. You limp, we'll be honest, you limped into the finals and again took on the Demons, who won again. Although you made them earn it, but it was a comprehensive win. Yeah, well, they jumped us in the first quarter, and most of us magpies were just too top-heavy and too slow. We tried to put them off, with the physical play, but in that instance it didn't work. We knew we would have to change things if we were any chance to make the grand final. And so then, going into that North Melbourne game, a team who'd beaten you at home only a few weeks earlier, um, how did you try and change things up from that game? Well, positionally we threw the side around. Ken Smale started on the bench, Kevin Rose moved to half-back, Brian Beers to half-forward. We changed every line, and it worked. So despite a solid win over North Melbourne in the prelim, um, even the players knew it would take a massive effort. Um, was Melbourne just simply bigger, stronger and better? Yeah, everyone wrote us off, but we took comfort in knowing that there's no such thing as a certainty in footy. But if I'm honest, or well, deep down, I don't believe we'd ever beat them. Now, we carrying five teenagers into a grand final today was pretty risky, if, uh, you know, not unusual. But necessary, and they'd earned their spot. Shaking it up worked in the prelim and we knew that we had to cover players we had lost, like Bill Toomey. He was very unlucky. And poor Frank Tuck. Tell us about him. Oh, poor Tucky. Missed out on the 53 flag as well. We all love him here at Collingwood and the fans do too. Just a shame he couldn't get over his leg issues. Now, one of the key moments actually occurred before this game at the selection table um, when uh, Hooker Harrison was picked. What do you think of that selection? Hooker is a tough bloke. Always keen to do what he can for the team. He was slightly down on form and he has his detractors, but he was keen to take the job Fonts gave him on Barassi in the semi-final, which had been effective despite the result. So when Fonts told him to double the dose in the grand final, he carried out his instructions to bump, push, shove and harass Barassi to the letter. And I dare say the great man, the immortal Ronald Dale, had one of his poorest matches to date. And he'd be hurting for years to come after today's game. So you came out to the massive crowd of, I think it was 97,000, um, ready to do what you had to. As I said earlier after that speech, 
All of us till ma'am went out of the race ready to bury the opposition. Fonz has whipped us into such a frenzy we would kill for Collingwood. Well, the game started and it seemed to be pretty typical uh, from them taking control very early. Yep, things seems to be running to script for them. Mitham was dominating the ruck and Barassi and Bob Johnson were smart around goal. The conditions were wet and sloppy, which probably worked for us in the end. We didn't fall too far behind. But you changed tack in the second quarter, didn't you? Yes, it was a great fight back. Although we had hit them hard in the semi-final, I don't think they expected us to take it up another notch. Our hard-hitting tactics seemed to shape Melbourne's players to the core. Now tell us a bit more about these second-quarter tactics. Well, I went to Hooker and said, let's see who we can collect. So Hooker and I went on a bit of a rampage. Hooker had a crack at Barassi. I think he was aggravating something that Harry Sullivan had inflicted earlier in the match. And I introduced several demons to the full force of my shoulders. This put the demons off the game and their stars, Barassi, Beckwith and Mithen, got into the trap of trying to even things up. And you evened up on the scoreboard too? Yeah, with the Demons so worried about us, we were able to put on two goals in two minutes from Bennett, which was huge. And with the driving rain, we really put some scoreboard pressure on them. Now, after that rough and tumble second, uh, what did Fon say to you at the half? We just heard him before the game. We'd love to hear what he said at the halftime. Well, to me specifically, he just said, whatever the hell you're doing, just keep doing it. I just lay there at halftime, relaxed, thinking to myself, I think we've got him. Well, some of your teammates seemed to hear that command and, and take it to heart because as soon as the game was on, uh, Bill Sarong reminded Melbourne why they'd been so furious in the first place and he broke poor Ian Ridley's nose. Yeah, from then on, they just couldn't concentrate on the game. They got sucked into trying to score, even the scorer. They forgot about the scoreboard. We put on five goals. They didn't kick any. Jeez. And it seems like by the last quarter, the Demons really knew it as well. Yeah, some of our boys started to get stuck into them, letting them know they had blown it. They really didn't respond, and we could tell they would, they knew it. Now, Sid Coventry has been quoted as saying, this is the greatest performance in the history of the Collingwood Football Club. Do you agree? Yeah, hard to say. Probably our most unlikely victory. We were trying to win this to protect the legacy of the, me, the machine team. We don't stack up against them at all. But was it against the odds? Bloody oath it was. Will it go down in history? Of course it will. Collingwood are back in town. And I dare say we'll, we'll be hard to beat in the coming seasons with this young team of upstarts. Uh, best on ground today, Murray? Well, that's a great question. It had uh, Gene Normsmith just walked in. I hate you bastards. But geez, I admire. Congratulations, you are a better team today, but we'll be back next year. Well, there you go. He left just as quickly as he came in. Uh, what was I saying? Um, best on the ground. Well, I know people are going to keep talking about what Hooker and I did today, but they shouldn't forget others like Beers, Fellows, Turner and Reeves. Gablick was sensational in the ruck. But gee, little Thorold Merritt was sensational, wasn't he? He isn't as big or rough as others, but by Jingo, does he play with every ounce of courage he has. So what kind of celebration can we expect from you guys tonight after that? Tonight, we're heading to the Royal Ballroom at the Exhibition Building. And we're going to celebrate till next season starts. Uh, well, enjoy, Murray. We know you won today because you were tougher, stronger and more fearless and were prepared to keep going no matter what the cost. Uh, we know Collingwood fans will remember this premiership for years to come. So all Melbourne ones. <laughs>
I bloody hope so. Thanks all. Thanks, Murray. You right, Charlie? Oh, it just hurts. <laughs> all right, so that final, it does. It really does. That final score. Nine, <sighs> Melbourne nine goals, ten sixty four. The twelve ten eighty two. Collingwood twelve goals, ten eighty two. Collingwood by eighteen points. Goals to Collingwood: Beers two, Bennett two, Brewer two, Merritt two, Wiedemann two, Fellows and Toomey one each for Melbourne. Adams and Barassi two, Brenchley, Crompton, Bob Johnson, McLean and Ridley with one each. <sighs> Best for Collingwood were Merritt, Fellows, Turner, Delante, Reeves and Bennett. Look, they worked hard. They did. I mean, you can't take it away from them. I mean to. Melbourne, ah, it just is sliding doors, isn't it? It could have been the other way well, so yeah. so easily. That that they yeah they just dropped that one game or Hawthorne won by a bit more. Um, or so, just I mean, if it hadn't been such a an absolute thrashing in the semi, and yeah. I feel like there's a there might have been a touch of complacency well, from Melbourne. There. It's the reverse of what happened last last season when you lost to Essendon in the semi and then that fired you up for the, the exactly. Grand final. We just didn't have that game that sort of put our feet back on the ground this year. I don't yeah. think it's very much like a, it reminds me of Essendon in '99 where we won so easily into that prelim and yeah. just took it way too easy. Yeah. Um, some interesting notes from that as well. Only two reports were made for the game: Barassi for charging Wiedemann and Hooky and Hooker for charging Barass. Yeah. Um, Post-game, Jim Caldwell found some empty jars of an unknown substance in the Collingwood rooms. <sighs> Steroids! Obviously had been consumed by the magpies as well. Um, these jars contained royal queen bee jelly donated oh. by the Christian brothers. Um, the club had been feeding the magpies large glucose tablets during the season for added energy. One before the game, one at halftime, and one in lieu of oranges at the final changeover. They provided a bit of a uh, bit of extra. They say it's ma- it's magical stuff. Their mm. royal jelly. Yep. Um, this was also the worst season record by any Collingwood Premiership team. Really? Yep. Their record of what was it? What did they have? Twelve, 12 goal, wins. Twelve wins, six losses. The worst record that any of their Premiership teams have had. Um, and as of 1958, Collingwood have now had the most Premierships for the longest time. Yes. So up yep. until him, this time Fitzroy had been the leading Premiership. For 31 years until 1928, Collingwood have now been the leading, leading premiership, premiership for tally for 32, 32 years, years. Um, and they'll hold it for a little while longer, I imagine. Mm. The Demons had a end of season trip to Surface Paradise, um, and there they played the Blues in an exhibition game under lights. Um, but a little discussion point. Firstly, well done Collingwood for protecting the four people that they share with Essendon. I mean, I don't want any other teams joining Essendon and Collingwood up there with that illustrious club of four premierships in a row. So thank you, Collingwood, for, for stopping Melbourne. Um, but good and bad news. Okay. The good news Throw it at is us. this is Collingwood's last ever VFL premiership. Yes. They will never win another VFL premiership. Yep. It'll. We won't be talking about another Collingwood premiership on this show until... Probably the end of next year. Yeah. If not the year after. Yeah. So it's going to be a long time between drinks. Did they sacrifice all their future luck and, and all their karma in for 1958? Just to keep just to keep the record themselves. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> because after this, this is the Collingwood will start from here. They lose so many premierships. Yeah, so many. So yeah, did they did they sacrifice it all? Did they just and all that karma they've sucked in? Was it worth it? I don't know. Interesting. Probably. For them. Did they celebrate too hard? Did they they rest on their laurels too much? Very interesting. You're the last one. 
Because of the, what are we, 61 years of grand finals now? Yeah. 61 years of the league, we've had 13 Collingwood premierships. And now not one for a little while longer. A long time. A long yeah, time. Their, their biggest premiership drought will come from this. Yeah. Ever. So yeah, it's interesting. It is very interesting. I think I think they sucked up all their. They did. They they, they had. Used they it. used everything they had. Yeah. And would Melbourne have been as dominant the following two years had they not lost this? And that's the question, yeah. isn't it? That's a very interesting question. It gets back to the, I, I again go back to that S in the '99 game. Yeah. If we hadn't have lost that. We would probably you? would have won 99, but would we have had that dominant season in 2000? No. That record-breaking season. Yeah. Tooth, yeah. Go you on. never know. So, so, yeah, a motivator. Um, all right. Uh, the under-19s were won by Richmond, beating Essendon 86-51. to 51. The reserves were won by Hawthorne. Four-point win over Collingwood. Mm. And the McClellan Trophy was won by the Demons. Mm-hmm. Sign of things to come with Hawthorne there. It's a worry. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. All right. Um... Some retirees, 1958, last season for Bill Toomey. Mm. Collingwood, 189 games, 154 goals, one flag. He didn't Go out play. on the high. Didn't play in that last... He didn't play. Oh, no. Um, Murray Wiedemann said that. It was the other two. Took over, Mick, yeah, of Mick, course. Nick played, Bill didn't. Bernie Smith, 183 games, two flags, one Brownlow. Bobby Davis, two flags, 189 games, 149 goals. Alan Cook of Richmond, 116 games, 54 goals. Tommy Hafey. Only 67 games, 10 goals, but he'll be back. He certainly will. Herb Henderson of Footscray, 130 games, one flag. Wally Donald, 205 games, one goal, one flag. Uh, so two of, two of the doggies are defenders there. <laughs> Jack Collins, 154 games, 385 goals, one flag, one Coleman, one leading goal kicker. Massive. Uh, and Eddie Goodger, 149 games, one goal. <laughs> So let's wrap this up, Charlie. Let's boot it home. All right, let's do it. So who was the premiership winner this year, Tim? Tell me. It was not Melbourne. It wasn't Melbourne. <laughs> it was Collingwood. It was Collingwood, unfortunately. The lead goal kicker this year was Ian Brewer of Collingwood. Yes. With 97. Six goals in the finals. Not 97. He kicked 73 goals. So, so he won the Brownlow. He won the Coleman with 67. And 73. 73 Sorry. For, the, for the year. Um, 73 sorry the Brownlow medalist was Neil, Neil Roberts. Roberts yeah so St Kilda's second medal in a row different player though Wooden Spoon Geelong yeah their fifth Wooden Spoon overall the Flat Cats the Flat Cats highest score for the season was the opening round score by Fitzroy against North Melbourne 23 goals 21 159 massive love that um, I have word from Kaz as well on the McCracken oh yes everyone's waiting I can find my list. Here it is. Here are some options. Bill Goggin, Ike Whitaker, Trista de la Ronde, de la Ronde. I said that wrong. Trista de Lorenzo. De Lorenzo. Verdon Howe, Bill Ark, Chris Pavlo, Gary Rasmussen, John Waddington, Errol Hutchinson, and Brian Beers. He's gone with Trista de Lorenzo. I mean, if it was anything else, we've got to take the trophy away from him. He can't, he can't be trusted. Mm, he says... Uh, he had a lecturer once called Lorenzo. <laughs> <laughs> um, premiership tallies as of 1958. Mm. Collingwood. Collingwood on 13. They have they have been leading the league now for 32 years as the leading premiership winner. Essendon with 10. Melbourne with 9. Carlton with 8. Fitzroy with 8. Fitzroy. I said Fitzroy with 8. Geelong with 5. Richmond 5. South Melbourne 3. Footer with 1. 
<laughs> Beautiful. And that gets us to the end of another exciting episode. Oh, the hardest one I've had to do in a while, and I'm looking forward to the next two. <laughs> Of course, I bet I bet uh, Kaz and Moz will be. Back oh, the, as it'll well. be so interesting, won't it? Yeah, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. Yeah. So before we hand over to Big Red, Big Red for he's around the grounds. Thank you for tuning in. Yes. Um, especially all those Melbourne supporters who suffered through this with Charlie. Absolutely, those people who were getting uh, we're get, getting our taste buds uh, back ready for the real season starting again well, in. A, it should have it should have started by the time we get this episode. Oh, up. absolutely! So let's hope those Enjoy. Uh, and demons are, uh, are looking good. One and two, one and two on the ladder, primed, <laughs> ready to go. Um, yeah. So on that on that note, uh, please, yeah, keep on listening and enjoying, and just every time you watch your club play, remember this is where they came from. Yep. Basically, yep. it's good times. Yep. So uh, we'll hand over to Big Red now, and until next time, hooroo. Big Red's local footy roundup for your state and suburban football action. Sinking our teeth in the grassroots football. G'day, kick team. It's Little Red. What a big year we've had for the centenary celebration of Australian rules football. We'll start today by looking at South Australia and in a memorable grand final, Port Adelaide beat West Adelaide 94-92 in an absolute thriller. West Adelaide... Missed a chance to win the game when a shot hit the goalpost oh, with 90 seconds left to play. That night, four West Adelaide players broke into Adelaide Oval and chopped down that offending goalpost. Port's Rex Johns won the Ken Farmer medal with 55 goals and Lindsay Head of West Torrens won the McGarry medal. In Perth, the grand final was also a thriller with East Frio taking on East Perth. In a close game, the Royals won by two points. Ted Kilmurray of East Perth won the Sandover medal and his teammate, Bill Mose, won the goal-kicking with 115 goals. What an effort. The VFA was equally as exciting in the league's 77th season of play. Williamstown finished on top and was easily beaten by Moorabbin in the semi-final. However, both teams won their way through to the grand final. And at the Junction Oval, they played out a thrilling draw, 7 goals 9 to 6 goals 15. Mrabin led through the entire match until Williamstown tied the scores with 30 seconds remaining. Williamstown came out firing the next week and put the game beyond doubt in the first quarter to win the replay by 32 points. The leading goal kicker for the home and home season for the third consecutive year was Bob Bonnet from Port Melbourne, who kicked 76 goals. The J.J. Liston Trophy was won by Keith Woolner of Northcote. Woolner polled 35 votes to win ahead of Ted Devery from Box Hill, who was second with 29 votes, and John Martin from Williamstown, who was third with 27 votes. Geelong West made it three in a row in the Ballarat League. Kalgoorlie Railways stopped Mines Rovers' attempts at four in a row. However, Heathcote... However, in the Heathcote and District League, Heathcote North did indeed make it four in a row. What an effort. Wang Rovers beat Wodonga by 49 points in the O&M. In the Talanga and District League, Dedarang won the 1958 flag in a close one downing Midi United, those mighty Midi Mountain men, by four points, 11 goals 571 to 10 goals 767 at the creek. 
Rochester won in Bendigo and Collegians won in the VAFA. The three winners in Tassie were Burnie, Glenocci and Longfawn. Other winners around the country included St Mary's Saints, Maine Tigers, Fish Creek Kangaroos, Fish Creek Kangaroos, Otway Rovers, Halora Strez, North Geelong Magpies, Kyabram Bombers, Ramblers Roosters, Encounter Bay Eagles, Grassy Hawks, Gamaling Blues, Finley Cats, Wayback Demons and Ainsling Saints. That wraps up another exciting year in this great country of ours. Until next time, give it a little red hot go. To find out more about the Kick to Kick team and the sources we use, visit our website www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening.